This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand many of our listeners may not agree with all of our viewpoints. However, we hope you can bear with us in order to hear unadulterated true crime cases. We are not licensed therapists, nor are we able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source material included for each episode. Now Now let's get get weird. Welcome back to another episode of All the Sins Worldwide. We have a very special guest on with us today. We welcome the host and creator of Murder and Mimosas, Danica. Yay! Hi! (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Jess and I have been itching to record this episode, so thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So Murder Mimosa's uh, podcast, we've been around for about a year, so we're still kind of new. We focus on lesser known crimes. They didn't quite get the media attention, but we feel like probably they deserved, everyone deserves that voice. Mm -hmm. We do generally lean towards solved cases because I like to sleep at night. (laughs) But we do every once in a while get an unsolved case that we just really sticks with us. So we have to talk about it. Yeah, it always comes out at brunch time. So you can enjoy your mimosa Saturday at brunch while you're listening. That is so cute. I love that concept. Yeah. (laughs) I totally am with you with the solved cases. I have such a hard time with unsolved cases. It just it doesn't make sense to me and my my head really wants to make sense out of things so I'm yes I totally agree with you yeah it feels like there's always a puzzle piece missing and it will drive me crazy and I'll be staying up at night being like there's an answer and I know it's there <laughs> I don't want right. to find it the pieces like, are all there you yeah. just gotta put them all yeah. together yeah <laughs> exactly exactly Okay, so I feel like I'm ready to dive in how do you guys feel I'm I'm ready I'm ready Okay, so let's talk about Stockholm Syndrome. Are you mentally prepared? (laughs) I'm prepared. Let's get into it. Our sources is from Simply Psychology, WebMD, and Scandinavian Standard to start off with. So with Stockholm Syndrome, it's not entirely clear why some people may develop Stockholm Syndrome. It definitely does not happen to every single person who is held hostage but it also doesn't mean that it's not a common thing. And it's believed to be pretty rare with the Federal Bureau of Investigation estimating that fewer than 8% of kidnapping victims show evidence of Stockholm Syndrome. And it's also thought to be like a survivor mechanism in the way that a person may create bonds with their captor as a method of coping with the extreme situation that they're in. Some of those key factors with uh, that increased the likelihood of someone developing Stockholm Syndrome, as noted by simplypsychology.org, is being in an emotionally charged situation for an extended period of time, being in a shared space with your captor or in a space that has poor conditions. Um, the hostage may depend on the captor for their basic needs, such as access to food or water, 
the hostage may not have been dehumanized by the captor. The situation lasts for several days or longer. The captor and the hostage have meaningful interactions, which provide opportunities to bond with one another. So it's not always the negatives and all that kind of stuff. There's always those moments of more positive interactions between the two. Um, the captor shows some kindness towards the hostage or refrains from harming them. And there's a reliance on the captor to survive the emotionally charged situation. So those are just eight of the bullet points. Yes. I was trying to space it on the word. I was thinking, I'm like, what? <laughs> it's a lot of information. Well, good Lord. Um, so individuals in these kinds of situations may begin to have confusing feelings for their captor. Like some people mistake this syndrome for having understanding and sometimes even love for their captor, which is kind of where it kind of gets in like a gray area there. Um, of course, a kidnapped person often feels threatened by their captor, but they also highly rely on them for survival. Like sometimes a kidnapped person will do things that other people don't understand because that's what they feel they need to do in order to survive the situation. But others are like, "What? where's your thought process in this? What are you doing? And they just will not get it. And there may be feelings of sympathy or empathy or even love towards the captor in there as well, as well as a desire to protect them even. So those are kind of some of the examples of what I mean by those things that other people wouldn't really get into what their captors are doing. And personally for me, like I haven't been abducted or held hostage or anything, but I personally know how, how it feels um, because there's evidence that people who are in traumatic situations together are likely to form strong bonds with each other. And that's called trauma bonding. Yeah. So they kind of form that attachment to one another when they've had similar traumas. And I've trauma bonded with a couple of people myself in the situation that I was in. Yeah, me too. But obviously, like I said, like not an abduction or anything, mm -hmm. but when you like form that relationship with somebody that has experienced the same thing as you, it's almost a whole nother feeling of that person knows like what this what I'm feeling that person has been through what I've been through mm -hmm. um so yeah that that causes a link between two people mm -hmm. and not a great link but a link nonetheless yeah like mutual understanding of where your thought process is at yeah because if you try to talk to somebody else who's never really experienced it before it's a whole nother thing like they just do not understand yeah but then when you have those people who have been through the same things it's a whole nother it's a whole nother ball game yeah this may be a possible cause for why um this happens in hostage capture situations meaning the strong bond in the traumatic situation may be misplaced by the captor. In other words, the captor may show kindness in any way, like giving them an extra shower or bringing the hostage extra food, which could be misinterpreted as the person being a generally kind person with the hostage clinging on to the hope that as a coping mechanism to help them get by with everything that's going on. Even if the captor is unkind most of the time and they show kindness one time, or if there's a lack of abuse in a situation where there usually would be, this can be misinterpreted as kindness or affection too. And this is relatable in abusive relationships because an abuser can be a dick like 80% of the time. And when it's that 20% of bare minimum niceness, it causes that victim to be like, see, it's not all that bad. Mm -hmm. And 
Isn't that so relatable? Oh my God. <laughs> like just reading you that. do a lot of rationalizing in those situations where you like just rationalize that little bit of good. It's like, well, there it's not awful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I get that. I think there's another layer of that person truly loving the other person that is an abuser. And then when they give them that small uh, feeling of reciprocation, they drink that up because they're so starved of it. And then they just, they latch on yeah. even more because they're like, see, well, he, he got me, he got me this, or she did this for me. It goes both ways, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they just wait for that moment of them not being a complete asshole because that's what they, you know, desire the most. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I like, I know that firsthand and I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. This brings back all that like memories, it's but anyway, it's triggering. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. Um, the victims in both the relationship and a hostage situation may be like waiting out the bad behaviors for the crumbs of good behavior, like you were saying. They're just waiting for that good stuff to happen after like the 80% of bad stuff's been going on. Um, an intermittent good and bad behavior from the hostage or abuser may create trauma bonds, like we had mentioned before about the trauma bonds. And some believe that Stockholm Syndrome is indistinguishable from trauma bonds in this way, which makes total sense to me. And people with Stockholm syndrome often report symptoms that are similar to those with post-traumatic stress disorder. So there's also kind of a relationship between those two as well. Some of those symptoms include being easily startled, feelings of distrust and feelings of unreality, flashbacks, irritability, nightmares, trouble concentrating, insomnia. Origin of the term Stockholm Syndrome came from the aftermath of a well-documented robbery that took place in Stockholm, Sweden in 1973. So what happened with that was there were four hostages that were kept captive in a bank while their captors had a six-day standoff with the police. And after their eventual release, the authorities found that the hostages had developed strong emotional bonds towards the captors and even refused to separate themselves from them. Like, and this attachment only took six days. Right. Like it didn't take too long. It was no. only a six day thing. Yeah. And people wonder why victims and survivors of domestic abuse stay in their relationships as long as they do. Right. Like, right. And I never thought to guess that Stockholm syndrome was named after the actual place of Stockholm. Like I never put two and two together. So I didn't either. When she said that, I was like, oh, all okay. right. I didn't know that. Yeah, exactly. But it to it makes sense, right? Yeah, I, I think thought it was named after a person. No. Like that's I, I did too. Yeah. It's like who, who yeah. is this person? We're Where learning things from? today. <laughs> And these hostages reported that their captors treated them kindly and didn't harm them. So, you know, even though they are part of a robbery in a bank and they were held hostage for six days, like they reported that they were treated fairly well and they didn't get hurt or anything. So, you know, trying to kind of make it seem like it wasn't as bad as it seems on the outside. Listen to this though. They defended the captors and refused to testify them in court. Yeah. What? <laughs> Isn't that nuts? That is nuts. Yeah. That's like, insane. Like these people committed a robbery and on top of that, they were able to persuade the people that were affected by it on a personal level to not even be like not on their side or to be on their sides, which is like crazy to me. Mm -hmm. And in six days. 
I need their methods because whatever they're doing. Oh, geez, Louise. <laughs> Apparently, because I can't convince anybody to do anything in six days. Right? Right? Criminologist and psychiatrist Niels Bajuro, Niels Bajuro, I believe. That sounds right. Okay. Um, he investigated this event and he was named the unusual named the unusual behaviors of the captors Stockholm syndrome. So the name actually came from that criminologist and psychiatrist who looked into this whole situation and what had happened. So he technically, it does derive from a name almost. 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 Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and despite becoming well-known, like Stockholm syndrome is not considered a mental disorder in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the DSM-5. And with many researchers denying that the condition even exists at all, like they are, they deny that it's even a thing. Like, or it's just like something that's made up to try to justify people's behaviors with certain things or why they do what they do. And so how would you explain people not wanting to testify against the people that held them captive like I don't I don't get that mm -mm. it's a mystery I tell you and many may attribute the feelings of Stockholm syndrome to other conditions or believe this phenomenon is merely an aspect of emotional abuse or the trauma bonding like we had previously talked about before and since the existence of Stockholm syndrome itself is questionable many may interpret this phenomenon in different ways and have their own ideas of, about what it is and kind of their own definition of what is going on. And whilst not everyone who experiences feelings of Stockholm syndrome will have all the symptoms or even most of them, they may experience some to varying degrees. Okay, are you ready for some fun case studies? I'm ready, let's hear it. Okay, so let's talk about Mary McElroy. In 1933, four men held 25-year-old Mary at gunpoint, chained her to walls in an abandoned farmhouse, and demanded a ransom from her family. When she was released, she had reportedly struggled to name her captors in their trial and had publicly expressed sympathy for them. She agreed that her captors should receive punishment, but also visited them during their incarceration, which, you know, brings mixed signals. Right. Sure. The ringleader of the kidnapping was sentenced to death, but this was commuted to life in prison when Mary wrote to the governor asking for clemency. Oh, Jesus. Oh, wow. In 1940, after years of mental health problems, Mary unfortunately oh. killed herself, leaving a note that said, quote, my four captors or kidnappers are probably the four people on earth who don't consider me an utter fool. You have your death penalty now, so please give them a chance, Mary, oh end quote. God. Oh, wow. That's very crazy. intense. Uh, next, let's talk about Patty Hearst. If you haven't heard about Patty Hearst, you may have been living under a rock. Okay. Are you guys? Yeah, yeah I know about that one. I've heard of Patty okay. <laughs> All right. She was kidnapped in 1974 by the Assyrian Liberation Army, SLA. During the captivity, Patty was reported to have 
renounced her family, changed her name to Tanya, and even joined her captors in robbing banks. She was later arrested and claimed that she had Stockholm Syndrome as a defense in her trial. Hmm. That was like one of the most famous instances of Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I knew that for Stockholm Syndrome and not what Stockholm Syndrome was based off of, which is crazy. Yep. I didn't know where it came from, but I knew that case. Yeah. Um, Another um, case that actually has an example of Stockholm Syndrome, too, is the kidnapping of J.C. Dugard. Do you know anything about that one? That sounds really familiar, but I don't think I do. Do you? I know that case, but I didn't know that Stockholm was a part of it. I only know it vaguely, so I I haven't gotten real deep into it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. It kind of delves into the part of Stockholm Syndrome where the captive is so reliant on the captor for a lot of basic needs. And, you know, he would, her captor, Philip Garrido, would have moments of like bringing her like a milkshake or allowing her to watch some TV or something like that. So that's kind of another example of that. And she was held captive for 18 years and she was found in 2009. So it was quite a long time ago, but that was another one that I was thinking of when we started talking about this. And I was like, it fits. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's okay. (laughs) I like the sidebar for sure. So next we're talking about Natasha Kambush. I'm going to start off that by saying that these are Austrian names. I'm going to do my best in pronouncing them. So I will apologize in advance if I don't get it right. So in 1998, 10-year-old Natasha was kidnapped and a captive in an underground, dark, insulated cellar. She was held captive by Wolfgang Pickluppel for more than eight years. During this time, she was reportedly physically abused by her captor, but he had also shown her kindness at the same time, which we talked about before when describing Stockholm mm-hmm. Syndrome. When she eventually escaped and her captor had committed suicide, it was reported that she wept inconsolably. She denied that she had Stockholm Syndrome and suggested the relationship with her kidnapper was complex. So she called it a relationship. Uh, She denied that she had Stockholm Syndrome, like I said, and uh, she stated, quote, I find it very natural that you would adapt yourself to identify with your kidnapper especially if you spend a great deal of time with that person, end quote. Later, Natasha regretted leaving and bought the house she was imprisoned in where she now lives to this what? day. Oh my God. Can you imagine just like living in a house that you're- You were abused, you yeah, like, ripped from your home, ripped from your whole life. Oh man. I wonder if you can like trauma bond with a house. That's what it almost sounds like, like she trauma bonded to this house. That's Ooh, interesting. Like yeah. instead of with another person with like a place. It could have been both, honestly. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. I kind of want to yeah. look into that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are other syndromes that have stemmed from Stockholm syndrome in one way or another. There is another syndrome called London syndrome. In this case, the hostages will not cooperate with their captors. The syndrome is named for a named after a 1980 takeover of the Iranian embassy in London by Iranian separatists demanding the release of a list of prisoners. The British Prime Minister at that time, Margaret Thatcher, refused to be bullied into submission. 
Of the 26 hostages, one hostage, Abis Lavasani, in particular expressed frustration, anger, and political disagreement with the militants. On the sixth day of the takeover, the captors killed Avis and threw him out of the embassy window as a form of, of power play. Oh, damn. And to show that they were serious. I have never heard of that one. Never. I haven't either. Like, very, uh, like, briefly touched on, but I don't really know any of the details, but that sounds, like, very familiar. Oh, okay. Next, we're going to be talking about Lima syndrome. Of course, we humans are entirely and utterly complicated, and Stockholm Syndrome has a complete inverse syndrome to its in nature. The Lima Syndrome is when a captor develops feelings or feelings of sympathy for their hostages. Its name comes from a hostage situation in 1996 at the Japanese embassy in Lima, Peru. 14 young members of Tupac Amaru Revolutionary Movement uh, MRTA took hundreds of diplomats, government officials, and business people hostage. All of the female hostages were released after the first night, and another 225 were released within a few days. That is a lot of fucking people. Oh, that is a ton of people. That's yeah. like the size of my graduating high school class. <laughs> That's a big ass number. Yeah. My God. I couldn't, they must have had a big group. To, in order to round up that many people and have them subdued or, you know, like that is a lot yeah. to take on. Mm -hmm. After 126 days, all of the remaining hostages were released after a government raid. During the raid, one hostage was killed and afterwards some members of the MRTA were executed by the government causing public outcry. Recounting the experience, hostages noted that they had engaged in long talks with the militants and captors who had been tasked with killing hostages, hadn't been able to bring themselves to do so. And to me, this shouldn't be considered a syndrome, but in fact, being a human being, having a moral compass, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. just because I don't want to kill another person out of whatever, you know, me being pressured into or being ordered to do so that isn't I, I don't know I don't know if that I would consider that a syndrome you know what I mean yeah well I agree there's a case that came to mind when you're talking about that it was Jamie Klaus or Klaus yeah he was kidnapped yes here in Wisconsin. 88 days yeah and but he had planned to sexually abuse her but he never could bring himself to do it and then she escaped he yes. never abuse like really did anything to her other than keep her in his room under her which yeah. wasn't his plan yeah. and he had just killed her parents so obviously killing wasn't an issue for him yeah so that one was for me kind of gives me that syndrome like maybe he had feelings for her he and definitely bring did. Himself to do it. yeah that's that one is kind of makes me think of that syndrome yeah I feel like that one is a little bit more um in the direction of the lima syndrome more than the yeah. actual lima you know hostage takeover so yeah i definitely understand. yeah the, the lima syndrome yeah that definitely sounds more like that than that. what it was named after yeah, mm -hmm. yeah for sure <laughs> and the case that you had just mentioned kind of made me think of um i believe there's an episode or two of Law and Order SVU that's based off of that case because that sounded really familiar i can't believe they're still ongoing like how can you think of all of those episodes and like different things to happen I just I can't believe Dick Wolf is still going <laughs> oh my god because they're happening in real life 
There's yeah, so many I of them I, I watch it and I'm like, oh, I know what that face is supposed to be. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. It always keeps you engrossed in there, though. Gotta, uh-huh. gotta, gotta love some Detective Stabler. I love him. <laughs> yes. Mariska, though. I'm glad he came back. I was sad when he left. So I'm going to end our episode with some tidbits. So something that doesn't entirely make sense to me is that Stockholm syndrome isn't listed as a formal mental health diagnosis in the DSM-5. It's considered to be more of an emotional response rather than a psychological response. People who have the syndrome seem to have some other common symptoms, such as embarrassment about their emotions towards an abuser, confusion, guilt, difficulty trusting others, post-traumatic stress disorder, nightmares, insomnia, flashbacks, and startling easily, as we mentioned before. After abuse or being held captive, they may they might also have many other symptoms as forms of PTSD. So they may not all be included in these lists that I'm about to talk about. There's things that people go through individually, but for the most part, denial, social withdrawal, chronic feeling of tension, feelings of emptiness, feelings of hopelessness, depression, anxiety, learned helplessness, excessive dependence, loss of interest in activities, which is totally understandable. Mm -hmm. Getting back into daily life and adjusting after trauma and developing PTSD is almost unimaginable. That going through a hostage type of situation or you being captive in any sort of situation, whether you're abused or not, is something that nobody should go through and it's very traumatic. Mm-hmm. One may think I can never go back to the way things were, which may be true. Once you go through a traumatic situation, your nervous system is now operating on a different frequency, especially if this was your first time going through any intense and extreme situation. On top of that, it can be very hard for victims to talk about their experience as it can be re-traumatizing to them. And this is why we're going to end this case on promoting a healthy way to cope and to understand what is going on emotionally, physically, and through your neural pathways. Therapy would be a huge facet in the healing journey as it may allow for you to understand your experience, understand how sympathetic behavior towards your captors was a survival skill, and learn how you can move forward with your life. Other good outlets are, you know, the basics, exercise, meditation, really listening to your inner dialogue and your bodily responses to have a better understanding of what you as an individual are going through. Just listening to your personal cues to different situations that you're going through after being in that type of situation is really key. And maybe even avoiding drinking or using drugs to numb the pain, putting yourself in a harmful and risky situation or eating or under eating, shutting yourself, shutting yourself down or in, in order to not think about the trauma. These are all things that you may want to want to do, but maybe you should avoid. Yeah. And on like the more personal note, um, like I will say that there is a lot of the negatives that I had dealt with when I was going through what I was, Mm -hmm. but, um, that was, that was years ago that that had been happening, but I try to think about how, and this 
it's might be kind of a morbid way of thinking of it, but I kind of think about the good things that came out of what I experienced because like, not to be religious, but they say like, think like everything happens for a reason. Like, so then when I try to think about it, it's like after I dealt with what I did that had like resulted in me moving out of town and I went to lacrosse instead and lived there and reconnected with an old high school best friend and now we are getting married Woo! so <laughs> that, that's came out of that so I was I'm I'm not saying I'm necessarily grateful for the experience but it did kind of like something good did come out of it yeah like I just try to think that way when I get really negative about what happened yeah. like really dwell on it mm-hmm. I mean Granted, that's I'm not a licensed therapist, and I am not necessarily recommending this. This is yes. just something that I have done in the past, yes. and technically, kind of, sort of works for me. So I'm not recommending anything in particular because I'm not a psychologist. As we have mentioned in our intro, we are not licensed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that is the background and case studies, and uh, just an overview of Stockholm syndrome. Mm-hmm. Hope you learned a lot. Like, uh, there's yeah. a whole lot about that that I didn't know. Like, I've heard, you know, it's kind of thrown around Stockholm syndrome sometimes, but I really didn't, haven't really dived deep. So I learned a lot from that. Thank you, awesome. guys. Awesome. Yeah, of there's course. A, there was a lot to soak up in that one. I know. I was <laughs> like, the more I went into this and piece this all together, the more I, I mean, I had fun doing it, but I just learned so much as well. So mm-hmm. I'm right yeah. there with you. Oh, well, for sure. Okay, sinners, thank you for tuning in this week. Tune in to hear Danica's case. She's going to be on the air with us and she's going to talk about her podcast a little bit more. And we love you guys. Yes, we love you guys. Bye. All the Sins Worldwide was written, recorded, edited, and produced by our co-hosts and creators, Jess and Nims. We truly want to thank our listeners, collaborators, friends, and family that continuously support us and for all the love we receive. If you enjoy our show, please give us a glowing review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we're up to. And email us your sinner tales at allthesinsworldwide at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins Worldwide are available wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure to subscribe and like us on your favorite streaming platform.